following message is from New Life Gillette series, Unlovable. This week, Pastor Mike presents part four of this series. Let me say welcome to those of you who are watching online, to our friends over at the prison and at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. We are celebrating veterans and, and people who serve in all different ways in our community and in our world. Um, we're celebrating them today because we recognize how much they reflect God's love in the world, but also because um, we know that there are some extra burdens that they carry that some of us do not carry. That doesn't mean every veteran has PTSD, but they have experienced things. They've ex- they have burdens to carry that we, every once in a while, need to just stop and say thank you. Every once in a while, when people give to us, people sacrifice for us. It's important for us to just pause and say, you know what? I recognize it, and I appreciate it, and I want to say thank you. So today we do that. We're also going to speak to a need today. Um, largely, we're going to talk about loneliness. And if you are somebody in the room today who has experienced loneliness or anxiety or depression in some way, we're going to speak to some of those needs today. And and. Statistically, if you are a veteran, you're more likely to struggle with loneliness, but that does not mean you're the only ones who struggle with loneliness. So I also want to acknowledge that I'm speaking today who are not veterans, who are not serving in the armed services. But did you know that veterans are more than twice as likely to commit suicide than civilians? That's a lot of people, and a lot of vets statistically are depressed or clinically have been diagnosed with depression. And a lot of research has shown uh, that a major contributing factor to the depression in veterans is loneliness. But actually, there are other studies show and surveys that show, did you know church-going Christians are less likely to experience loneliness? There's a passage in Psalms that I think kind of reveals why that is. It says, those who know your name, talking to God, this is David talking to God, Those who know your name trust in you. Know your name. You know, I think what somebody calls you reveals a lot about your relationship with that person. Like if maybe they got a nickname for you or something, and maybe some kind of camaraderie is revealed in that name and and how they talk to you. For example, if somebody calls me Mr. Wilson, I know they're trying to sell me something, first of all. And they don't know me at all. Dude, I don't think anybody in my family has ever gone by Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson was Dennis the Menace's neighbor or something like that. Um, So we go by other, usually it's Pastor Wilson in my family. We probably don't know each other if you're calling me Mr. Wilson. What you call me by, the name you use to talk to me, reveals a lot about our relationship. Now, if somebody calls me Pastor Wilson, I realize there's some kind of connection there. It's probably one of you. And you're, you, you know my profession, you know what I do for a living, you, you know that, that I'm a Christian, and you know some things about me. We may not be like best friends, um, or, or we may not have a personal relationship, but at least you know something about me. Now, there are a couple people in the world who call me a different name. They call me dad. Actually, there's two people in the world in that category. Both of my sons call me dad. And don't you think that them calling me dad, the name that they use when they're talking to me, reveals a lot about a relationship? Now, I could be a good dad or a bad dad, but at least tells you the type of relationship we have. There are a couple people in the world who call me poppy. 
uh, this is actually two people as well. Mitch and Grant. I don't know why. Our entire relationship, somehow they started calling me Poppy, and that's just what they call me, and I've had to live with it. I think the same thing is true, not Poppy, but the name thing. Uh, When it comes to our relationship with God, what you call God reveals a lot about your relationship with God. If you call God a higher power, well, you could, that could be any ruling figure of any celestial being, a higher power. That's not picking sides. That's not choosing a God. You're just kind of talking generally a God, a being of some kind. You probably don't have a personal relationship with the God that we're talking about today. If you call God the big guy in the sky, well, maybe you're talking about the same God that I'm talking about, but it doesn't really sound like it's like your friend. You don't really have a relationship with him. Did you know that when Jesus was talking about God, God the Father, Jesus actually called God the Father Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word for what we would say daddy. It's like the the more endearing relationship version of dad. It's like the difference between daddy and father. Abba is a very emotional word in Aramaic. And King David says this about God. He says, those who know your name. So like, this is the idea of kind of a relationship. They know you. They trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those. They trust you. Why? Because you have never forsaken those who seek you. Never. I throw my kids in the air and they love it. And they trust me. Why? I've never dropped them. I've never broken them before, not yet, so they trust me. I trust bridges. Why do I trust bridges? Because I've never had one fall out from underneath me. Now, if I'm ever driving across a bridge and it breaks, I won't, well, if I survive, then I won't trust bridges anymore. They, They fail me. So God, I trust you. Why? You have never failed me before. Throughout this series, we've been talking about this tree. We call it the unlovable tree, and it is a small tree that just it's worthless, right? This tree has no hope. This small tree over here has no ability to provide for itself. It's got no roots. It can't really survive. And so it's just a totally discard it. Get rid of this tree. Maybe it's good for firewood. That's about it. Unless somebody else comes along and provides for this tree and makes it valuable, makes it grow, sustains it. And this is the, the larger tree on the right that has grafted in the smaller tree, and is providing the nutrition that the smaller tree needs. And this is the picture that we as Christians have been given of what we should be for others. We should be the larger tree. Sometimes we're the smaller tree. And as Christians, we, like Christ, serve as the larger tree for people when we can. Because God has never failed us, because God provides for us when we are in need, we also are called to never fail others, to, to provide for others when they are in need, to carry those who cannot carry themselves. And this is a beautiful picture of the church. This is what we're called to be for each other. This is what your life group should be for each other. As we see each other struggle, we carry each other through these tough times. We help each other move into their new house when they're moving or, or we help each other when they're sick or whatever we do. We help each other when they are in need. We help the unlovable tree because we want to be like God. And scripture goes on to tell us that blessed 
you will be blessed. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak, the little tree. The Lord delivers them. There's a reward. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. Help others and you will be helped is what it says. Be good to others and others will be good to you is what it's saying. This will be repaid. Maybe on earth, maybe in heaven. Every once in a while, uh, a couple friends and I do this exercise at Club Energize where usually when we do a bench press, you know what a bench press is, you lay down on the bench and you press weights up. And we do this exercise where normally we're trying to get as much weight up as we can. And we're just doing a few reps, just trying to get as much weight up as we can. But this exercise is a little different. We strip all the weights off the bar and all that's left is a 45 pound bar. And we bench it. And we look like a bunch of idiots because everybody else is around grunting and looking cool and we're lifting a 45 pound bar. But the trick is, the goal is to lift that 45 pounds 50 times. Well, I can lift a heavy weight a few times, but you ask me to lift a lightweight 50 times, my arms are just jello. Like even doing this 50 times when you're laying down, by the, by the end, I'm just like running out of strength, running out of strength. Well, a couple of months ago, we were doing this uh, and a friend in Zach, our hospitality director here at the church, uh, is spotting for me. So the spotter is the person on top. It's there to catch the weight if you drop the weight. And so he's spotting for me, and I'm going strong. Obviously, it's a 45-pound bar. I'm doing just fine until I get to about 40. And at about 40, my arms just start giving out. It's like I feel a twinge in my, I don't know what to do. My arms are no longer working. So after a while, Zach is just kind of lifting the bar for me. And I think by number 50, he's lifting my arms with it. Like he's doing all, Zach's just doing some curls. I'm doing absolutely nothing because my strength is completely gone. And he is doing all the work for me. I think this is a picture of what it looks like for people who serve in the armed service as well. People who protect us in all kinds of different sacrificial professions of people who protect those who cannot protect themselves. Because the reality is, these people are protecting me from dangers I don't even know are out there. Like, I don't have the weapons, the knowledge, the tools to fight against these battles, and I, these enemies, and I don't even know the enemies exist. They're just kind of taking care. They're just kind of lifting the weight for us. And sometimes it's tempting to take that for granted, to take them for granted and their sacrifice for granted. But we, when we stop and we recognize the sacrifice that they're making, it also teaches us something. It also helps us to become maybe more like them in everyday life. Maybe there are some traits in that service that we can adopt in our own lives. Blessed are those who serve. The Apostle Paul one time was talking to one of his disciples, a guy named Timothy. So it was young Timothy, and he's, he's teaching Timothy the things that he knows. And the Apostle Paul is in a suffering place in his life, and he's really struggling. And he writes to Timothy, endure suffering alongside of me. I need a teammate. I need somebody to help me. I'm really struggling, Timothy. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We're both on the same mission. We're both working together. We're both soldiers in the army of God. Will you help me? Can you help me lift this weight? Because right now I can't lift it. And this is the military. Endure suffering together. And what we learn is that enduring suffering together makes suffering endurable. 
if we do it as a team, if we do it together, then we can accomplish way more than we, what we can alone. And in the service, if you are a veteran, from what I can tell, you've experienced some camaraderie, some teamwork, some missional work in which you are working with somebody else that is very special, is very valuable. And Paul in this moment is looking for a companion in his fight, a teammate. And then he says this, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. So Paul's taken this soldier metaphor, this military metaphor, even farther. He says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. What's Paul saying? If you take the mission away from the soldier, then you're taking away the purpose of the soldier. When you were a soldier, you experienced a feeling of purpose. But then civilian life, well, that's just a different story. Because civilian life is this like me-focused, materialistic pursuit of competing with the Joneses, of competing with everybody else, of trying to win. And it's just kind of, that's not so fulfilling. When I was working on a team toward a goal and we were with this camaraderie, that was fulfilling. And then we, we all just compete with each other to see who can have the coolest stuff. That's lame. That's purposeless. The reality is that the American dream is a depressing mission. Really, the American dream is all about prosperity. It's about wealth. And if you achieve it, you will be depressed. Go get them. That's largely because it's a solo mission. You're on your own. Go figure out how much you can get and how much you can impress everybody and how, how, how good you can look and how does your Instagram account compare to their Instagram account. And we're just competing. Solo. Maybe one or two people with you that care a lot about you, but we're all just in it for ourselves. Prosperity is a lonely mission. It's all about comparison, having more than the neighbors have. Do you know Christ's description of what it looks like to be a neighbor? It's all about sacrifice and love, not competing. Do you realize that almost all of us have more than our grandparents had? We're just, the prosperity in our world right now is just going crazy. We've got comforts and luxuries and things that we just, when we were kids, we we're like, I didn't know I was going to have a supercomputer in my pocket. Like, what, why are we so blessed? And the whole time we're depressed because we don't have enough. Because we're comparing. It's not about having enough. It's not about having more. It's about having more than others. We're just comparing our prosperity now. It's a solo mission and it's depressing. But there's a better way. Because self-sacrifice is a fulfilling mission. The team, the unity that comes with serving together. Sacrificing together. Soldiers were part of a team fighting together on a mission. And then they get into civilian life and they just start wondering, is this really all it is? Is this what I was fighting for? Just so a bunch of people could have more stuff? You used to fight on a team. Now you fight alone. God says, don't be afraid. For I am with you. 
Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. We're talking about a bigger picture here. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up, how? With my victorious right hand. You know that all throughout Scripture, there's this common phrase, God's strong right arm or God's strong right hand or his victorious right hand. It just kind of uses that same terminology all the way through Scripture and different writers use it, use different words to really mean the same thing. And it is because throughout most of our history, the right side of someone is reserved as a place of honor. If, you, if, if I place you, if you, just think back to wedding ceremonies and why we do a lot of the traditions that we do here in America. If I place you on my right side, I am honoring you. In most cultures throughout history, that's been the case. And all through scripture, if you ever hear about somebody being on the right side, you know that the person on the left is showing honor to the person on the right. We see an example of this. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And now, now that he died and was raised to life, now he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. So when God says that he will strengthen us and that he will hold us up with his mighty right arm or his mighty right hand, He's saying that he will protect us, but also that he will honor us. Did you know that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the maker and sustainer, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, wants to honor you? So at some point, a smart person says, I keep being failed by people and everybody's out there on their own fighting for themselves, trying to earn for themselves. Yet the God of the universe wants to honor me and wants to sacrifice for me and even died for me. Why am I looking to people for validation? Why do I worry about what other people think of me? Why do I worry about what my Instagram looks like? The God of the universe wants to honor me. God honors you, so stop looking to people for validation. Because here's the reality. We will fail you. I will fail you. So, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When everyone else fails you, when even your family, when your friends, when your coworkers, when your boss, or whoever else, we are all human, we are all broken human beings, and we sin and we screw up, so we will fail you. Stop looking to us for validation and look to God. And in your time of need, Run to him. Watch this. Mr. Garcia, whenever there's an incident with one of our veterans, we like to look into it. Why don't you tell me? How do you feel? Yeah. You want to know how I feel? <laughs> okay. I guess it's just like... 
Sometimes the only thing I feel is disgust Like I can't focus on anything except the things that I've done I think of ones that I've hurt and the ones that I've loved Sometimes they're one and the same but I've just done it too much That it's stuck inside my mind and I can't remove the misery Or the images of destruction I'd see in the Philippines And it sickens me to think way back to that week when I got back to the ship that's when I'd fall weak, I couldn't sleep When I sleep, that's when it'd get rough I'd be alone in my dreams With demons beating me up Then I'd wake up Standing, staring, covered in blood I guess I was the demon trying to square up But what was it? Was it me or the thought of divorce? Because that same and week she tried to take me to court I could have sworn she said Tell that do us par But I guess it didn't really matter When the devils are hard Is that a start? For you to try to dig in my brain? Am I insane for getting pissed? She tried to take them away? My kids had nothing to do with it but they're paying the price and i feel like i'm losing it but i'm trying to survive as time goes by i know what i've got to do gotta strap my boots and do the improbable gotta tackle all obstacles because i know who i am and i don't care who asks oh yeah well who's that and i'm the outcast you know when i walk into a courtroom and i expect to be treated with truth and justice and be shown as an equal you guys spit in my face and expect a dad, a father, a godly man to not be there for his children. Well, you got something coming for you. Cause I'm why in the house of the just. I have to prove that a father's love is enough. That I wasn't dumb or unloving. That I made enough of the money. That I wasn't choosing to leave and leave it all to their mother. It doesn't matter. I was overseas serving a nation. It doesn't matter the hurt of me or my kids in this case. Cause this case was decided before I made it back home. And y'all expect me to live in silence? You're dead wrong. Look, I've been gone by the back and I won't sit back. I can't. And when y'all asked what I was wanting, I said half and y'all just laughed. And y'all just laughed. Is that like I won't gladly fight for my family to hit them back? A dad is important whether you like it or not. And this damage is torture to everyone who is not willing to conform to every piece of your norm. See, that's resorting to forcing their hand. But I'm not, cause I'm the outcast. You know, we go through these tests throughout our lifetime. And it really pushes us to the edge. We gotta hit rock bottom before we can get back up. And all I've learned from all this that it takes time You gotta get up and get on your grind Every day So don't quit So when I was overseas, attached to USS George Washington, I was in Strike Fighter Squadron 195. We were called out of the Hong Kong area to do humanitarian efforts in the Philippines. And when we got there, I just, I don't know if I was really prepared for what I was going into. It was the most destruction I had ever seen in my life. And it was just terrifying. Uh, there were bodies everywhere. There was no homes. So we were delivering, delivering food and just doing what we could uh, for the people. It was during that week I was there that I received divorce papers from my ex-wife. And I think I just lost my mind. I, I hadn't talked with anybody from home in 
well over a month. And I would, I would wake up in my, in my rack on the ship and just, I'd be covered in blood. I'd beat myself up in my sleep. And I think I was going insane. I was losing my mind. So I went and I spoke with the chaplain for the first time and started to get some clarity. I started to accept the fact that I was having panic attacks because I didn't know what was going on. I, I then went back to Japan, getting ready to come home for the holidays. And I was praying with my brother in the Narita airport in Tokyo via FaceTime. And that's when I turned my life over to Christ. And I came home, found out my ex-wife was having an affair. And that just began the longest chapter in my life. I mean, our custody battle started in Mississippi, came to Wyoming and ended in Washington state. Um, I've ruined relationships with friends, family, girlfriends, um, just from all my anger. And, and I, was, I was dealing with this battle within myself. Like I was my own worst enemy at times. And it, it took everything I had to, to keep it together. And it just seemed like it wasn't going to get better. Like it was, you know, I, I know other people have gone through it. And it's just, it's you against yourself. And, and I finally realized that I had to truly lean on God, truly put all my faith in Christ. And once I started doing that, the, the big obstacles weren't so big anymore. I realized I wasn't alone and I'd come home and I'd feel like such an outcast that there wasn't the structure that I was used to. Um, there wasn't a mission that we had to get done. It was just life. And it's still hard. It's still hard to get used to it. During my custody battle, I would, I would not come to church for two or three months just from being busy at work or not wanting to come or going to court. And I was scared to come back after like a three month stint. I was scared to walk through those doors and I was scared of like how I was going to be judged or looked at or, you know, but when I came here, it was like the product son, the story of the product son where he came back and he was afraid to come home embarrassed. Um, but it was the opposite. I was welcomed from my family, from my brothers and sisters in Christ with open arms, with smiles, with compassion and with love. And that's, that's them showing me that it's, we have to live a Christ-like life. Um, nobody's perfect, but believing that, that Jesus died for our sins, that's huge, that's important. That's the most important thing. And I can't thank my, my church family enough for, for being there for me because I don't know where I would be, honestly. I don't know where my kids would be. But through all that, I've learned that I'm not an outcast. I, I am loved and I, and I walk this walk, this spiritual journey with my brothers and sisters in Christ hand in hand. And I can't be more thankful. So thank you to all veterans and their families for, for serving because it doesn't stop when you come home. And uh, thank you.
Ruben's, yeah, that was good. Ruben's one of our sponsors at New Life Youth uh, on Wednesday nights. If you've got a teenager, get him over there so he can influence them. That's good stuff. And, and he talks about this idea of uh, really putting his, giving his life over to God, like truly giving his life over to God. And that doesn't mean all of a sudden everything is good because people still fail us and life is still hard. But he's like, he can sustain, he can, he can make it through because he recognizes what's on the other side. And we know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. We grow tired and weary and we, we fail each other, we screw up, but he never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. People will fail us. The world will fail us. We will struggle in this world. The government and our employers will fail us, but we put our trust in God because he never fails us. We are going to be weak in a time when even a first responder or even a soldier of some, some kind or, or our family or somebody else cannot be there to save us, cannot be there to help us. We will be in a time in our life when nobody can do anything to help us and the only person that we can go to is God because he will be there and he never fails us. God said, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. You need new strength? They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. In my own personal life, there has been many times when I've been through these periods of weakness and anxiety and struggle. And it is in these times that I learn new habits, like practical habits of running to God. That, that kind of sounds like a pie-in-the-sky idea. What do you mean run to God? Like, am I going outside to run? What am I doing? For me, it looks a lot, like a lot of time alone and prayer. For me, at, time, it, it, at times, it's getting in a room, turning off the lights, and playing Andrew Peterson. He's my go-to artist. For me, sometimes it's listening to worship music. For me, sometimes it's reading scripture, but I just consume myself with thoughts of God. And it is in these times that he reveals his faithfulness to me. It's not just some abstract thing. That we're not, running to God is not just something that is an emotional event. It's a practice. It's a habit. And in these times, we recognize God's faithfulness. And we recognize his power and his strength and his honor of us. God says, my grace is all you need. My power actually works best when you're weak. So if you're at the end of your strength, if you need new strength, in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. This is when he can do his best work. Is when we hit rock bottom and we finally go to him and say, okay, I've got nothing. I'm at the end of my rope. I've got nothing else. Political leaders or employers, or even our friends and family aren't enough. I need you, God. So I put my trust in you. God, I pray that today 
you will become more evident to us than you were before. That you would give us the courage and desire to seek you with all of our hearts. To put all of our faith in you and nothing of this world. God, I pray if there is anybody in this room who does not have a personal first name basis relationship with you. That right now you'd begin to reveal yourself to them. That you would make them more and more aware of your Holy Spirit with them even right now. And that you would draw them to yourself. That you would give them the courage to begin that relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.